So, um, I'm going to be reading Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. And we're really only going to be zeroing in on verse 3. Uh, but in order to get the fullness of the thought, because the thought begins in verse 3 and goes all the way to verse 14, and is one sentence in the original. So let's go ahead and read, I'll pray, and then we will jump in. Ephesians 1 verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Well, let's pray. Oh, Father, we come to you, as always, in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus. And we come recognizing that it is only in Christ that we can come before you at all. Because it's only in Christ that our sins have been taken away. It's only because of what he has done on Calvary that we can come before you, a holy God, as sinful people. And so we come boasting in Jesus and what you have done for us in him And we come this morning asking that as we consider these verses in Ephesians 1, that you would open our eyes to see, not not just to understand what you've said, but that we may see the glory and the beauty, and that we may be struck by the weightiness of all that you have said in this passage. Lord, that we ask that by your Spirit, you would open our eyes to behold the truth, the reality, the spiritual realities of what this passage communicates. And we pray all this now in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, Ephesians chapter three or chapter one, verses three through fourteen is I'm sure you probably noticed it when we read it, is one of the most dense theological passages in the entire Bible. Um, If you were to 
ask the average Christian, what, what is the most theological demanding passage in the entire Bible? They would probably say Romans 1 through 11, Ephesians 1 through 3, uh, or the book of Revelation. And that would be right. That would be accurate. Uh, Ephesians 1 through 3 is a difficult passage. Um, we just read verses, chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, and I will say this. I memorized this as a senior in high school. Um, no real purpose, just knew I needed to memorize something. And uh, I had it down pat. I could recite it at the drop of a hat, uh, but if you were to ask me to explain what it meant, I would have said, I have no clue. <laughs> uh, because, as Peter says in Second Peter, Paul says things that are very difficult to understand. And this is one of those passages. Um, and what I want to do as we consider this passage, this what we would call high theological text, it's high theology, complex, intricate theology. What I want to do is I want you to see five things about this passage. And that's going to, if you're a note taker, you can write that down. Five things about this passage. And we're just going to go through them one at a time. So let's go ahead and jump in. The first thing I want you to see about Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, is that this is a doxological passage. It's a doxological passage. You know what doxology is? It's a word of praise. And so we have the doxology, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. It's a, this is a, a, doxology has to do with worship. It has to do with praise. And so you see in chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What does it mean to say, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ? Well, other translations put it this way, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is to say that uh, bless his name. You're right? we, we use that, for that, that, that saying, bless his holy name. That's the idea here. Paul is inviting the Ephesian, the Christians in the church in Ephesus to praise God, to praise the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. To, he's inviting them to, to, to worship God with him. Paul begins, now, now remember what I just said about Ephesians chapter 1 verses 3 through 14. This is some of the most intricate theology in the entire Bible. And how does Paul begin it? He begins it with a song in his heart. He begins it with a word of praise. Even before he gets to the theology, he is exhorting the Christians in Ephesus, to join him in praising the name of the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 14. Paul begins this thought with praise. How does he end it? Well, look at the last phrase in verse 14. To the praise of his glory. He begins this Rich, intricate, theological discourse on a note of praise, and he ends it on a note of praise. 
You see in verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace. You see in verse 12, to the praise of his glory. Paul can't quite get two verses without interrupting himself, spontaneously erupting in words of praise to God. Paul does not want us merely to know these truths. He wants us to delight in these truths, to cherish these truths. Theology is, you know, we we can ask the question, what, what is the primary purpose of theology? And we would say the primary purpose of theology is the understanding. We study theology so that we can know how it works, know how it fits together. But the ultimate goal of theology is worship. The ultimate goal of theology is worship. God is not merely concerned that we believe the right things. He's also concerned about how we are affected by what we know to be true. To merely believe and not to delight in what we believe is to miss the whole point. If you study Ephesians 1 verses 3 through 14 and come away with an exacting, precise, theological understanding of every word and phrase of what Paul says in these verses, but you do not come away with a song on your lips and a song on your heart filled with a sense of wonder and awe at who this God is and what he has done and what he has bestowed upon you in Christ, you have missed the entire point of this passage. This passage is all about worship. And what theology does is it gives us something to sing about. And so John Owen says, the great theologian from the 17th century, he says the ultimate end of theology is the celebration of the praise of God and his glory and grace in the eternal salvation of sinners. The ultimate end of theology is the praise of God. So when we study theology, we are asking the question, who is God? What is he like? And as we study and ask these questions, we we get a glimpse of the glory of who God is, his nature and his character. We get a glimpse of the glory of his purposes and of his ways and of his works. We get a glimpse of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. We get a glimpse of the glory of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We get a glimpse and we get to taste the fullness of the gospel and all that is ours, all that's been given to us in the gospel. And once we learn all this and embrace all this, the only fitting response is to worship him because of who he is and what he's done. We see something very similar in Romans chapter 11. As I said earlier, the most theologically demanding passages in the Bible would be Romans, Ephesians, Revelation. Well, after Paul gets finished in Romans chapters 1 through 11 with 11 chapters of, well, Pastor Gabe walked you through it. (laughs) 
It's, uh, you know, we're talking about uh, all meat, no bones. You know, this is tough sledding. And at the end of at the end of Romans chapter 11, after 11 chapters, you would think that Paul's response is, now that we've read all this, let's go take a nap, right? But that's not how he responds. At the end of Romans chapter 11, this is his response to the intricate theology, the deep theology of Romans 1 through 11. His, his conclusion is this, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Paul's response to Romans 1 through 11 is worship. It's worship. So, that's the first thing we see. Blessed be, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a doxological passage. Second, we see that Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 is a Trinitarian passage. It's a Trinitarian passage. You know what the doctrine of the Trinity is? That there is one God, only one God, and but this one God consists of three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So God is one, and he is three. And this does not mean that there are three gods, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but there's one God, and this one God exists in three distinct persons. And you can see in verse 3 the persons of the Trinity being distinguished. You see the distinction between the person of the Father and the person of the Son. So, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who is Paul praising here? Who, who, is God, who, is the, who is Paul blessing? He's praising the Father. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who has blessed us in Christ. Who has blessed us in Christ? The Father. So, so the triune God in salvation, the triune God, the... the the, the accomplishment and application of redemption, of, of salvation, is a triune effort. Each person of the Godhead is involved. Which makes sense because they are one, right? Everything, they, everything one does, they all have a part in it because they're one. But we see here, do you see the, the distinction between the Father and the Son? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ. So you see the Trinitarian nature of our one God. We worship the Father because the Father has given us the Son. 
and has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the Son. The Father meets out His grace to us in the person of His Son. You know, I, I think that the, in modern-day Christianity, the Father has fallen on hard times. We appropriately, rightly, want to be Christ-centered. That's right, because the Bible teaches us to be Christ-centered. But we need to be careful that we're not Christ-centered in an unbiblical way. The fact is, is that the Father figures large, not just in the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament. Who is Paul praising here? And who is it? that blesses us with every spiritual blessing. It's the Father. And I I don't know, maybe some of you have read uh, the book by Sinclair Ferguson called The Whole Christ. It's an excellent book. If you haven't read it, recommend it. Not the easiest read, but it's very good. And one of the things that Sinclair Ferguson talks about is how it is vital that we understand how how the Father relates to our salvation. A lot of people think, and this is common, that, that God the Father is just some unbending tyrant who doesn't want to have mercy on us and his son is over there gentle, meek, and mild, and he's pleading with the Father, oh, just have mercy on them. And then the Father kind of frustratedly and irritatedly relents and says, okay, I'll have mercy on him. Right. And many would communicate that that the Father's love for us is conditioned upon the suffering and death of His Son on the cross. And that is not true. God the Father did not love us because Jesus died for us. Rather, Jesus dying for us, that is the expression of God's love for us. Jesus, God sent His Son because He loved us. Not in order to love us. God is the one who has blessed us. The Father is the one who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And we see this in John 3.16, do we not? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Well, who is that or who is God a reference to in John 3.16? Well, it's clearly the Father. The Father so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. The Father, in other words, is the initiator of salvation. He is the one, uh, Romans chapter 8, remember? He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how will He not with Him, uh, also with Him, freely give us all things? It's the Father who did not spare the Son. And it's the Father who will give us all things in addition to the Son. The Father is the initiator of salvation. And what Sinclair Ferguson argues in The Whole Christ is he says that if we get this wrong and we think that the Father's love for us is conditioned upon the death and suffering of Christ... 
then we will fall into legalism. And he says that what this leads to, and I love this, this, this statement, he says, what this leads to is sanctification by vinegar. Because you don't see that God really loves you. You don't see that your heavenly Father loves you. How do I know he loves me? Because he's the one who sent his son while I was still a sinner. He loved me. And that's why he sent his son. Even while I was a rebel and an enemy. Even while I was a sinner. Which is delightful to know that your father in heaven. That, the, that what the cross says is that God the father loves you. And he loves you so much that he sent his son to purchase all every spiritual blessing in Christ for you. Now we also see the Trinity. I said this is a triune passage so that you don't get lost here. I said the we also see the Trinity even more clear in verses 4 through 14. Now, we're not going to be looking at these verses in particular, but I just want to sketch it out. In verses 4 through 6, we see the role of the Father in salvation. He is the one who chooses and predestines us, chooses us for holiness and predestines us unto adoption before the foundation of the world. And then we see the role of the Son in verses 7 through 10. And the role of the Son is to redeem us through his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. And then we see the role of the Holy Spirit in verses 11 through 14. And what is the role of the Holy Spirit in redemption? Well, he takes what the Son purchases and what the Father predestines, and the Spirit then applies what the Son purchases and the Father predestines. And the Spirit becomes our guarantee, as you see in verse 14, of our heavenly inheritance. And so you have each person of the Godhead, this triune God, each person of the Godhead fulfilling their own distinct role in redemption, in salvation. And what we don't see in Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, is the contribution of man. We see that this is a work of God from eternity past when the Father predestined us, stretching all the way to eternity future with the Holy Spirit who acts as the the guarantee of our future heavenly inheritance. And because this is from eternity past to eternity future, the work of God, because we contribute nothing to it, it is all to the praise of His glorious grace. Because it's his work, not ours. And that's why Paul says four times, to, or three times, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glorious grace. And that's why Paul begins with, blessed be, praise be, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why is he filled with praise? Because this salvation and the fullness of what, of what we've been given in salvation is completely entirely the work of God and therefore he gets all the glory 
Well, first we see it is a doxological passage. Then it's a Trinitarian passage. Number three, I don't even know when I begin. So if I go over, someone just say, hey. (laughs) I don't know when I begin. I don't even know what time it is. Okay, anyways. Um, Number three, we see the recipients. I want you to see the recipients of the blessings that are given by the Father through the Son. So let's read the passage again. Hopefully you'll have the passage memorized by the time we're done. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Who is the recipient of these blessings? And the answer is us. Or at least, you know, in the text. It's us. And who is us? Who is this us? It is the Apostle Paul and the Christians in the city of Ephesus. That's who the us is referring to. And so these blessings are given by God through Christ to those uh, to, to Christians, to you and me, to the Apostle Paul, to the Ephesian believers. Now, it would be interesting, would it not, if, if there, it would be interesting if there was a, a description of, of who these Christians in Ephesus were. Who are these people that God has given every spiritual blessing to? Who are these people? Is there a description of them somewhere? Well, of course there is. I wouldn't be asking it like that if there wasn't, right? There is. It's in chapter 2, verse 1. Paul is here describing who these people that God has poured out such rich blessings upon. He describes them. And who are they? Well, look at chapter 2, verse 1. And you, speaking of the Christians in Ephesus, you were dead in trespasses and sins in in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Now notice that Paul now lumps himself in, in verse 3, with the word we all, with the words we all, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Paul is including himself in, in the group here now. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed unfallen angels. No, no, that's not what it is. Who has he blessed with every spiritual blessing? He's sinners, condemned, unclean. Those who were by nature children of wrath. What does that mean? That means basically this, that you are by nature someone who is deserving of the wrath of God because of your sin. Who has God poured out such great blessings upon? Well, these people who were 
dead in trespasses and sins. These people who once lived in the passions of their flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. I mean, that's an amazing statement, isn't it? That, that the one, the one, the, the people that, that God pours out his grace, such infinite grace upon, are by nature children of wrath. By nature. It's who you are at the root of your being. It's not just something that you've done. Sin is not just something that you've done over here a time or two. It's, it's who you are. You're, you are by nature a rebel against God, such that it can be said that you are dead in trespasses and sins, and yet you are the one that God has given every spiritual blessing in Christ. And I think that this is why Paul is bubbling over with praise. God is to be praised not just for who he is, and he's not just to, now follow this, he's not just to be praised for who he is, he's not just to be praised for what he's done, he's also to be, to be praised for who he's done it for. And who has he done it for? He's done it for his enemies. He's done it for rebels, for those who are by nature children of wrath. And since it hits so close to home, he exclaims, Blessed be, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, number four, I want you to see the riches of the blessings that have been poured out upon us. Blessed be the God and Father of of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with, keyword, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. The word every communicates the riches of the blessings that the Father has poured out, us, out, on, out upon us in his Son. That was a tongue twister. He has not, it doesn't say, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with most spiritual blessings. It's every spiritual blessing. Not one is missing. They're all there. They're all there. Now Paul goes on in verses 4 through 14, and he begins to enumerate what these spiritual blessings are. It's not meant to be an exhaustive list, but he tells us what these spiritual blessings are. And so in verse 4, it's adoption unto holiness. In verse 5, it's adoption as sons. In verse 6, or rather verse 7, it's redemption, the forgiveness of our trespasses. In verse 11, it's an inheritance. And in verse 14, it is the Holy Spirit as the guarantee of our heavenly inheritance. And Paul enumerates these blessings in verses 4 through 14. Now, this is not meant to be an exhaustive list. It's kind of the, the, the high points, as it were, right? This isn't kind of like a, if you've been to, um, you know, a, a sampler platter of sorts, right? And he's hitting the high points here. 
Um, some will say, you know, well, where's prayer in this or whatever? You know, there, there's other things to be added. But, but he's hitting the high points, and these are the high points. I mean, adoption as sons? It doesn't get much higher than that. To be one who inherits the family farm. God's family farm, which is kind of large. A little bit, you know, infinitely large. Right. So... So what, what is included, and I can say, look, we can put it this way. The entirety of the Christian life is to discover the fullness of what is included in this word every. That, that I mean, you cannot plumb the depths of it. You cannot plumb the depths of what you have been given in Christ That is the great goal of the Christian life, is to come to a greater and greater understanding of all that has been given you in the person of Christ. And I think that there are are so many miserable Christians, and part of the reason they're so miserable, and they have such... Long faces, right? Something like that. The reason they're so miserable is either because they are ignorant as to the fullness of what has been given them in Christ, or they know the fullness of what has been given them in Christ, but they are not appropriating it and grabbing hold of it and embracing it by faith. But this is the reason, one of the greatest reasons why we should be reading our Bibles every day. I want to know what is mine in Christ. I want to know what's mine. I want to take hold of it. I want to enjoy it. There is no reason for there to be a sour Christian. Actually, this passage, the reason why when Pastor Gabe asked if I would preach this morning, I decided on this passage because... Over the last few, four or five months, there's been some difficulties and some struggles and things that I was tempted to be resentful about. You've been there. Things that I was tempted to be melancholy about. And this passage was a daily go-to for me. Because this is a passage that if you meditate on it and if you think about the implications of it, you cannot know what this passage says and become resentful or bitter or feel like you've gotten the short end of the stick or a raw deal. You look at the enormity of what you, that it, the enormity of what is yours in Christ, and how can you look at the, the infinite blessing upon blessing upon blessing that has been given to you by the Father in the Son and go away with a bad attitude? You can't do it if you're appropriating it by faith. Who are we to complain about anything? Who are we to complain? What more can God give you than he's given you? That is already yours. 
He's given you every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every spiritual blessing. There's not one Christian who is more blessed than the next. Whether you're living in North Korea, living in poverty, or whether you're living here in America, regardless of your social status, regardless of your your income, the Christian in North Korea has every spiritual blessing in Christ. Every spiritual blessing. Just like we do. Now God, of course, God has given us earthly blessings as well, and we do not make light of that. We don't in any way downplay that. But if we think about who we are as Christians, we are the most privileged and blessed people on the face of the planet. Because we've been given everything. Everything. Well, by the way, do you believe that about yourself? That you're the most privileged and blessed person? If not, that ought to be your goal. And ask God, open my eyes to see this, because the, the, these, the, the nature and the, the scope of these blessings is something, you, you cannot top this. You cannot outdo the bounty of God in regard to what he has given us in Christ. Well, lastly, I want us to consider the the nature of these blessings. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every physical blessing on earth. Obviously, that's not what it says, right? I do that to make the point that the nature of these blessings are spiritual in the heavenly places, which is to be contrasted with physical blessings. On the earth. The blessings that have been given us in Christ are spiritual. And they're in the heavenly places. They're not physical. Now, God does give us physical, earthly blessings. But what does Jesus teach us in the Sermon on the Mount? He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up your treasures in heaven. Right. These are blessings. These are, this is true treasure. What the world cannot take away from you what has been given you in the gospel. The blessing, these spiritual blessings are infinitely greater than earthly physical blessings. Because every earthly physical blessing you have will be gone someday. 
These blessings are eternal. Now, the non-Christian looks at this, and I think there's a hymnal down here. I can't remember what the hymn number was. Um, What was the second hymn we sang? 70-something? 76? 35. Like I said, 76, right? Yeah. 35. Yeah. I, I didn't know this was in here. This is great. So... The non-Christian looks at this and the the non-Christian yawns. This is what you offer in the gospel? This is the thing that gets you all excited? Is that you've been given every spiritual blessing? That's like going out to dinner and having, you know, all vegetables and no dessert. I want the earthly blessings. I want the mansion and the yacht. That's what I want. I want the big house with the you know, the picket fence, and I want, I want the good job where I can retire at 25 and, you know, whatever. So the non-Christian yawns at this. But why does the non-Christian yawn at this? It's because they are dead in their trespasses and sins. They are like Nicodemus in need of sight. You must be born again to see the kingdom of God. For those who are in Christ, for those who have been born again, the Holy Spirit has given you eyes to see and to value what is most supremely valuable. And so when we sang this this morning, I was so excited. Verse 2 of O Great God says, I was blinded by my sin, had no ears to hear your voice, did not know your love within, had no taste for heaven's joys. Then your spirit gave me life, opened up your word to me, through the gospel of your son, gave me endless hope and peace. But the non-Christian did not know your love within and had no taste for heaven's joys. But for the Christian... You look at these blessings in Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 14, and what is your response? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're not a Christian and you're here and you're listening to me, I don't know, rant and rave, is that what I do? Um, you're listening to me expounding this and you're saying, Jimmy, I, I, I don't see it. I mean, you and everyone else here seems to, Jesus seems to be the most important person in your life. But, you know, when I think about Jesus, I, I just don't see it. I don't see it. And you talk about these blessings, an unfading, undefiled inheritance kept in heaven. And I hear that and I hear about adoption, being adopted by God and, you know, holiness and redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins and the inheritance and this holy spirit and i hear all that and it is it's like you know all vegetables no dessert and i i just don't see what the big deal is and maybe you're here this morning and your parents you come to church because your parents bring you and you hear these things being preached every sunday and you say You know, I know mom and dad think Jesus is all that, but I I just don't see it. Um, 
Let me encourage you to go to God and be honest with him. He will not chastise you for being honest with him. Go to him and say, God, open my eyes. I mean, these people seem to think you're everything. These people seem to think that you're of greater value. To have Christ is of greater value than to have the things of this earth. Lord, give me eyes to see. I I don't see it. Forgive me. I know I should be filled with wonder and awe at who you are. But I don't see it. Help me. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Give me new life. Open my eyes. Help me to see the glory of Christ. Help me to see what is of greatest value. Go to him and be honest with him. Even if you're a young child, he hears you. Ask him to give you eyes to see what your mom and dad see, what Pastor Gabe sees, what I see, what so many others here see. So that you might live for the things of, that bring greatest joy. And so, in closing, I just want to ask you, are you rejoicing? It's the whole point of this passage. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ to the praise of His glorious grace, to the praise of His glory, to the praise of His glory. Are you filled with wonder and awe at who this God is and at the fullness of what He has given you in the person of His Son? Well, may God give us a heart. May He give us a song in our heart and a song on our lips as we go home today. Let's pray. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your infinite grace and mercy and bounty. I pray, Lord, that we would not be sour, but that we would understand and realize that we are by far the most privileged and blessed people on the face of the planet. Because we are your children, and we have all things in Christ. Every spiritual blessing is ours. And we thank you for it. Because we did nothing to earn it or deserve it. It's all a gift of your grace. We thank you, and we pray all this in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus. Amen.